Hi friends, it's Friday, we made it, and we have a packed show for you. We really do. We're gonna be covering new charges against singer R. Kelly, some new monuments in New York honoring LGBTQ icons, and Kirk Franklin is here to talk to me about his new album. Ooh, so grab a mimosa and we'll see you on the timeline. Yes, but before that, we're gonna get ready. Oh, let's so do it. Excuse us. <laughs> Twitter. I'm Alex Berg. He's Zach Stafford, and you are watching AM to DM. We made it. We made it. We're here. It's our We're final. Here. No, not our final week. Sorry, not final week. <laughs> our first week done. Wrap. Yeah. How are you feeling? You know, I feel pretty good. Um, this week was amazing. A little bit of a whirlwind. Yes. But uh, it feels awesome. How it's, about you? It's amazing because, you know, this process has been so wonderful but fast-moving. And we started on Tuesday. I was like, oh, my God, here we go. What's it going to be like? And it just keeps moving faster and faster, but it gets more fun and more fun each time. So I'm just so happy to be here. And I get to see yeah. you every day. And I am not sick of it, and I don't feel it coming on at all. Thank goodness. Like, I was so Thank happy goodness. to see Alex. We even had dinner last night. We did. We so, did. You know, we're, we're always together now. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I love it. I love getting to see you every single day. But I want to know, were there any moments that you're looking back on that just felt like victorious from this week. Victorious. I love yeah. that language. I would say <laughs> getting to sit down with Kel and oh, having yeah. my mom text me afterwards so excited because, you know, as a young black person in America, I, Kel was a hero for me as a kid. And my mom took me to see him. So for us to sit there and be in conversation, it was just a nice moment to share with my mom. So I'm very happy about that. But what about you? Um, I have to say Patty Smith. I mm. mean, come on. It's, that was yeah. just so major. That was just major on every level, and especially since it was your first day. Yeah. So I kind of can't believe it. I kind of can't believe it. I'm like, did that really happen earlier this week? Did I really get to sit down with her? But yeah. it did. It and did. And you're now best friends, right, Patty? Right. right. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, it's so exciting, and it just it makes me even more thrilled to think about the people that we're going to get to yeah. talk to in the future. Also, one of the best parts of this so far has been getting to see everybody's tweets about the show. And I just really love reading them and getting to interact with everyone yeah. and kind of being there to help people walk yeah. through whatever is happening. Yes. To walk through your fiery timeline. Where everything is wonderful and positive and makes sense, right? right. Absolutely. Well, speaking of the timeline, yes. I learned this morning that my favorite Twitter is Spelling Bee Twitter. The Scripps National Spelling Bee tweeted, in an unprecedented display of academic achievement, eight spellers, eight, have become co-champions of the 2019 Scripps National Spelling Bee, making history as the first group to share that coveted title in the 92 years of the storied event. They each walked away with more than glory, too. Ed O'Keefe tweeted, Incredibly, each of the eight co-champions will be awarded $50,000. They don't split the pie. They each get a pie. And a good pie. Yeah! Girl, $50,000 goes away. That's a BMW. <laughs> that's a Mercedes. If yeah. I had known I could get 50 Gs by being able to spell, what was the word? Palama? I think it was Palama. Palama. Right? That was one like of Paloma. the words which is what would have messed me up because one's a cocktail, one's something <laughs> I don't know. I would have been studying very hard. Very yeah, hard. yeah. I mean, I, I am not a good speller at all. Uh, and they all had different words. Yes. I would say we were looking at the list of words this morning. Palama was perhaps the most accessible. Yes, it phonetically makes the most sense. One. Yeah, the I rest definitely... were like, uh, I don't even know what they actually were, let alone spell them. <laughs> I was yeah. like, is this an actual word or are you just messing with me? Yeah, I would not, like, I could not even phonetically spell most yeah. of those words. So yeah. it just wasn't going to happen for me. It's it's quite something. It's quite something. Mm -hmm. Well, I have to say, one of the other things, too, that jumped out at me is that the kids were all, like, 12 to 14 years old. And just the level youth. of excellence youth. that they had to... Youth, yeah. yeah. And it's kind of this thing of, like, is Scribs now canceled is my question. Because if eight <laughs> people can win in a gridlock, that means the dictionary is over. Or you should just let us grill you and I can create new words. There like, you go. Like Paloma Zoma. 
I really love that one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this got us thinking uh, a lot about our own spelling abilities this morning. So let's take it to the timeline. Which word do you always spell wrong? Tweet us using the hashtag AM2DM or AM2. I just rely on spell check because I do. Yeah, I mean, I really rely on spell check even as an editor. Um, but there's a word, uh, I'd love to hear a word, but the word that just came to mind as I was thinking of that is behavior. I always spell wrong, and I don't know why. Because it's not that hard of a word, but I don't know. Maybe the I and O and you together is like I-O-U. It makes me stressed out. Yeah. I don't know. What about you? What words are you um, bad at? Well, I mean, there are many words that I'm bad at. I'm sure that you go on quite a journey as an editor. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can only imagine, but uh, thoroughly is a tough one for me. Thoroughly? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Because uh, having anxiety about thoroughly, and it means to be, like, thorough, it, I mean, it's very ironic to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, that is, I, it didn't even occur to me, but, I mean, yes, that is true. <laughs> but I don't know. I, like, sometimes when I have to write it, I'm like, is this actually a yeah. word? How do I spell this? Like, what is, is it? From through? What is it? What's I feel on? like my struggle most of the time is, is it the correct word in general? Like, <laughs> like, am I just making this usage up? Am I creating a new language? I don't know, but but, you know, we all have our own battles with language, and it's fine. And if you solve yours, you will get $50,000 if you're 13. There you go. <laughs> well, switching gears a bit this morning, we have some developing news out of Chicago where singer R. Kelly faces new charges. Megan Crippo tweeted, Breaking, R. Kelly has been charged with 11 new counts of sex assault and sex abuse-related charges per court order records. Megan continued, These Class 10 sex assault charges are far more serious than the other pending cases he faces. That's the most serious class of felony in Illinois, short of murder. Six to 30 years, mandatory. Joining us today to unpack these latest developments is legal expert Adrian Lawrence. Good morning, Adrian. Good morning. Thanks for having me, you guys. It's so great to have you here. Uh, and we'd love to jump into the conversation. So tell us more about what these new charges actually mean for R. Kelly. Ah, yes, indeed. As you pointed out, these are more serious charges for the 52-year-old R&B singer. He was indicted by an Illinois grand jury on 11 new charges that included four counts of aggravated criminal sexual assault, which, as you mentioned, carry six to 30 years mandatory, and two counts of criminal sexual assault with force, another two counts criminal sexual abuse, and then three counts of criminal sexual abuse with a victim between the ages of 13 and 16. The thing here is that he was recharged, essentially, against the same victim, one of the four that he had been charged back in February. It's the element of force and possible use of violence or threats here that are new. And um, part of the details that kind of go into this without getting too much into the sordid details is um, the forcing of oral and vaginal penetration, transmitting semen onto the body, and then that added level of using violence or threats or endangering her life. And that is why these are more serious charges and why they carry a much more, just a much more weighty and lengthy mandatory sentence of up to 30 years apiece. I mean, indeed, weighty. I just thinking about that as you were mentioning that. Um, Do we know anything about the victim or the woman at the center of these charges? Uh, Yes, we do. Um, Although uh, sexual assault victims are not labeled by name in court documents, and she's listed as JP in these documents, a woman did come out named Jeronda Pace. She came out on Facebook on her page and said, the new charges do relate to me and things that happened to me when I was young. Um, And so she has identified herself publicly. And these are things that she had already brought forward and had been brought with the original charges back in February 
February when he was hit with 10 counts of aggravated criminal sexual abuse against four victims. It's just now they're adding that additional element of violence, threat, and endangering her life, which means that if convicted, R. Kelly faces a lot more time in prison and those mandatory sentences, meaning a minimum of at least six years in prison and up to 30 years. Wow. So why are we just now seeing R. Kelly charged with these elevated crimes? Because I feel as if we've heard about these very aggressive actions or allegations for quite some time. So this is the first time he's been charged like this, correct? Um, that's correct in terms of this level of seriousness and this gravity. And it may have been a, um, a measure of the fact that the attorneys did not necessarily have the evidence that they wanted at the time initially to charge him with that violence element. And now they do have that evidence and have moved forward against him. As we've seen over the last few months, more evidence continues to roll out against R. Kelly. We had attorney Michael Avenatti claiming to have videotapes and whatnot and asking more people to come forward. So there are more have there may have been more evidence over the last few months. And now that the attorneys have this, the prosecuting attorneys, they went ahead and went to a grand jury and asked for these more elevated charges and they got them. Yeah. Earlier this year, uh, you know, Lifetime did this documentary about R. Kelly. Um, I was really moved by the individuals who came forward and told their stories because they are so incredible. Um, to what extent do you think we can credit the documentary with bringing up these charges again, bringing renewed attention? Oh, indeed. I think that we can credit the documentary, also individuals coming out, because a lot of this sexual abuse, it involves shame and, you know, fear of repercussions or being retaliated against. And having these celebrities in the documents, documentaries come out and say, it's okay, come forward, we stand with you. You know, having that support and knowing that you do have a place so that you can come forward and feel safe, that is what really carries the weight here and really kind of just pushes and edges people forward to stand up. Because it's very hard to come forward of any with any kind of sexual abuse, in part, as I mentioned, because of that shame and fear of not being believed. And so having things like the documentaries, having news stations and people say, hey, come forward, we're here to support you, that goes a long way in terms of getting justice and getting people to come forward and bringing these things into the light. For sure. And as people did come forward after that documentary, the hashtag Mute R. Kelly began trending even more powerfully. What do we know about R. Kelly's career lately since it's been a few months since that hashtag uh, premiered? Well, I haven't really heard much about his career. Um, I also have not necessarily been looking to support or follow him at all. We do know that he was bailed out of jail by a fan who owns some kind of child Christian daycare center and dropped over 100 grand to get him out of jail. So he definitely does have a number of fans still out there. And there is a push for R. Kelly's innocence, so to speak. But the reality here is that this man has been accused of sexually abusing, assaulting, manipulating young black women for decades. And there has been significant evidence against him. And so now the fact that he is being essentially held accountable and we are seeing the justice system really take him to task, it's, it's a very big thing. So I don't expect necessarily for him to be doing well successfully when it comes to continuing his R&B career. Yes, it is an incredible big, big thing. And I don't know where his career will go after this. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Adrian. We hope you have a fantastic weekend. Thanks so much. Miriam Elder tweeted, a BuzzFeed News investigation finds that U.S. universities, private foundations, and retirement funds have entrusted their money to funds that put money into two companies key to surveillance crackdown in Xinjiang. 
BuzzFeed News reporters Roslyn Adams, Megaraja Gunpalan, and Ryan Mack wrote, these story, wrote this story about how American organizations are funding startups that make technology used to surveil 11 million people of Muslim ethnic minorities. Ryan joins us now. Hi. Hey, guys. Hello, hello. So to begin, what are these startup companies you all have reported on? So these two startups are $2 billion companies out of China. Um, one is called MegV. And the other one is called SenseTime. And they both run uh, proprietary uh, facial recognition platforms that they sell to clients. How did U.S.-based organizations end up uh, putting funds toward these companies? Yeah, so it's a bit complicated. Um, There are known private equity and venture capital investors in these two companies. They both raise more than a billion dollars each. Both are valued at more than $4 billion. And the way it works is, let's say you're the... uh, Princeton University Endowment, for example, you would invest in a venture fund um, like, uh, let's say, GGV Capital. And GGV Capital would pull all that money together from its uh, endowments and foundations and pension plans and uh, write an investment to one of these companies. So it's kind of the money's moved between kind of a middleman and it eventually finds its way into one of these companies. Gotcha. And Ryan, can you tell us more about the particularities of the technology within these companies? Yeah, so it, they've got tons of applications. I mean, it's not just for security applications. You could be, they're saying that if you're driving a car, it could uh, help with um, self-driving AI. Or if you're in a building, it could help with uh, entry for, uh, like, let's say, if it recognizes your face. Um, in these cases, however, in security cases, um, let's say you have a lot of security footage um, and there's a database of faces um, from IDs, um, uh, Software like this could run uh, video from that surveillance footage against those IDs to see if someone is in a location at a certain time or um, not where they should be. It's kind of invasive. So you mentioned it's kind of invasive and in China it's being put towards nefarious purposes. Um, Can you talk about how it's being used to detain the Uyghur Muslims? Sure. So um, the Uyghur province is one of the most, uh, sorry, the Xinjiang province where the majority of Uyghurs live, is one of the most surveilled places in the world. There's, uh, for example, uh, cameras in in mosques, uh, on the streets. They're everywhere. And so in in these cases, um, authorities, uh, as found by experts, have been using this to kind of, uh, I guess, run the facial recognition against the footage in these places to kind of uh, track where these people are going. And in this, in in Xinjiang, there's more than a million people that have been kind of uh, put in these internment camps in, in the region. Wow. And as your reporting kind of hits the world right now, are these groups that are backing this technology or the use or how it's being used uh, rethinking this investment at all? Uh, unfortunately, I guess no. Um, we haven't gotten many responses from uh, these these investment groups, which are called limited partners in these firms. We've actually only had one um, from a Los Angeles pension fund, and we found dozens. But most have kind of either not commented or deferred comment to uh, the uh, venture funds or uh, private equity funds that they invested in. Earlier, you mentioned that this was a complicated story. How did you actually find the story, and what was the process like to report it out? Yeah, oddly, it's it was one hiding in plain sight, which I thought was kind of uh, funny. I mean, um, these venture funds and these private equity funds publicly announced that they invest in these companies. It's not a secret. Um, and they've invested hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars in these companies. Um, 
it, it was making that other connection, knowing that Princeton invested into these venture funds or knowing that um, the California pensions plan, California public employees pension plan was invested in one in a private equity fund and just making that connection showing people that, Hey, maybe their retirement money or maybe their college endowment money was, was finding its way into these, these two companies. A story hiding in plain sight. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Today on the show, we'll be talking about the monument to queer icons Sylvia Rivera and Marsha P. Johnson, and Zach is sitting down with Grammy Award-winning singer Kirk Franklin. But up next, it's Fire Tweets. That one? Fire! Fire! Welcome back. Before we get to fire tweets, we are noticing on the timeline that the struggle is real when it so comes real. to spelling. Rachel Head Girlfield, you tweeted, I can't spell the word foreign for the life of me. <laughs> Oddly enough, I got it right when I Googled it for the one time only. <laughs> well, hey, listen, at least you got it right when you tweeted it just now. You're growing. So. That's called growth. There I you love go. that. And the foreign is like faux, faux rain. Faux rain. There you go. Faux rain. That sounds oh, so learning. weird. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a little shortcut there for you. All right. Let's get into these fire yes, tweets. Yes, let's do it. Jim, you tweeted, the white kid who did the worm at your middle school dance is still chasing that high. <laughs> <laughs> can you do the worm? Oh my gosh. Or that, wait, you are have me, you done the uh, worm? Well, I definitely can't do the worm. You are totally putting me on the spot I am, here I am. about the worm. I will say this. When I was under 10 years old, I okay. may have done the worm one time. Uh, well, you were a gymnast. It. I was a gymnast. So, so I, you, you have the leeway to do it. Yeah. I have never done the worm. I don't believe. Good. So why not? <laughs> Yeah. Like, I cannot recall. I feel like I'm going to call after this. There's going to be a video of me that emerges. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that would be People so embarrassing. People find it. Oh, my God. That would be. Oh, God. Well, I hope that doesn't happen. Let's go to our next tweet from Robert. You tweet it. For sale. Graduation balloons. Never use. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> I'm sorry. Bad. I feel a little bad because it's just like... His name is kind of a sad photo. So for people that don't know, I don't remember his name, but his wife William is, H. Macy. William H. Macy. Yeah. His wife's going to jail for the graduation, uh, for not going to graduation, for paying for her kids to get into UCLA. So they will not be having graduation anytime soon because I think that young person dropped out in the wake of this. Oh, no. So it is a sad oh, thing, but that's yeah. quite funny. Good for, good for you. Robert. I mean, a fire tweet. It's so good. Gabe, you tweeted, Waffle House is a hibachi restaurant. That's not real. I'm sorry. <laughs> Fake news all day. I mean, Waffle House just has a grill in front of it. But so many restaurants have grills or workstations. Like you get ramen, yeah. they make ramen in front of you. So that doesn't make it hibachi. Well, I, I've never been to a Waffle House. Oh. Sorry to say. You've I'm done the worm say. and you've yeah. never eaten at Waffle House. I know. Drag me. God, let's go to the next tweet, though. Because <laughs> I can't deal with this. It comes from Ryan. <laughs> Someone stole our barbecue grill with the meat still on it. I hate Chicago so bad. <laughs> is this a Chicago thing? I mean, if it is a Chicago thing, I would like to say it's a very smart thing to do. If oh, one yeah. must steal a grill, you might as well steal the protein on said grill so you just don't have to go to the grocery store afterwards. So it's fine. But I think it's because, like, alleys in Chicago, everyone has an alley and you grill back there. And that's the thing. Very, very easy. Yeah, to I have to do. say that. I don't hate the idea of getting a little meal. It no. seems rather no. crafty. It's literally meal on yeah. wheels. Like, you're just dragging it. Yeah. All right, tweet of the day? Yes, let's do it. Tweet of the day comes from Brightside. How I, a millennial, filter spam calls. If my phone rings, it's spam. <laughs> this is true. When did we become a generation that was obsessed with having our own phone lines? 
to the generation that's like, ugh, anxiety, why are you calling? I can't deal with this right now. I mean, I really do feel that way, but you mention it. It's like when I was younger, I wanted to talk on the phone all the time. And then now I'm like, do not bother me. What is this number calling? I don't know you. Do you remember just sitting on the phone with people you liked forever, not saying anything? Uh, Yeah, I do. I would never, ever do that now, ever. I can't even sit at a drink with someone like that. (laughs) Anyway, let's move on from my drinking and dating habits. Coming up, I'm sitting down with Grammy Award-winning winner Kirk Franklin. But up next, we're talking about Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera, who will have a monument in Greenwich Village to honor them. Continue making the show the queerest of all time. All times. Welcome back, Twitter. Today, we have some good news for once to help you launch your Pride Month. Uh, The two mothers of the LGBTQ movement are finally getting recognition they've so long deserved. New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio tweeted, When trans young people trying to find their place in the world come to the village, they'll look up at a monument of Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera. They'll see themselves and their own potential to make history. Mm. And The Root tweeted, FYI, the Stonewall riots would not be possible if not for a black woman. Thus, Marsha P. Johnson will be getting her flowers and be honored with a monument in New York City. What did you think when you saw this yesterday trending on Twitter? It's about damn time, is what I thought. These two, they are so important and so integral to the LGBTQ rights movement. And, you know, finally, I mean, they've deserved this kind of attention for a long time. It's been 50 years, like five, zero. That's a long, long time for these women to get any type of recognition of this scale. Because as you've mentioned, this is the reason why we have a pride parade is because these women organize a pushback at, at the Stonewall Inn, which is a bar in Greenwich Village. So to see that the city is now wrapping its arms around them is just really beautiful and amazing and, yeah. a, and about damn time. And about damn time. Well, you, you mentioned uh, seeing their names trend on yes. Twitter. And yesterday when I was just like scrolling through my phone, uh, I saw Sylvia. I, I think I saw Marsha as well. And mm-hmm. it was just a really... It was like a wonderful moment. I kind of took, you know, stopped and took a breath and just like held space for a minute, yeah. you know, because I was just like, it feels really surreal and like, it's just, it's it's been time, but at the same time, a little bit of heaviness to it because I really wish that they would have seen yeah. the way that they are celebrated yeah. now. Because what people don't realize with these two women is while we do talk about them a lot, there are galas named after them, you know, there are days named after them and now there are statues, is that at that time, they were seen as pariah yeah. within the LGBTQ community. When they would speak out at major events, they would be pushed off stage, they would be cussed at, and they were constantly being arrested, but they never stopped fighting for us all to have rights. So it's kind of like, oh, 50 years later, we now recognize that is amazing now, but also a reflection on how sad it is. And something else I learned is that these two statues that will be there, or these two women as statues, are the first time that a city has put trans people as a statue in the history of the, the, history of the world, which is just insane to think about. Yeah, that is absolutely insane to think about that it's just taken this long for that to happen. But I think one of the things that you pointed to is just how they were pariahs. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I think about is that so many of the issues that they were fighting for um, are still issues that we're really contending with today. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, something that I certainly hope happens during the whole month of Pride is that it's not just the statues, right? I think that we should really be trying to center trans women of color uh, and really putting them to the forefront um, yeah. in our spaces, uh, you know, and in our activism and all For sure, issues. especially because if you think about the context in which this news arrives is just this month, there have been four trans women of color, all black women, between Texas, Detroit, and I think Pennsylvania. I'm not too sure on that last one, but there have been four for sure um, who have died at the hands of gun violence. Um, and this is a, a frequency that now is that every two weeks, someone that looks like Sylvia or Marsha is slain in the streets of the U.S. and other countries like Brazil, it's even more rapid. So the fact that we have statues that allow these trans women to live forever in public, when trans women, when they do live in public, mm-hmm. are dead, 
is just so incredible for the city to finally do that. Yeah, and I hope that it just continues to grow and that maybe somebody passing by one of these statues who doesn't know who they are, uh, that it can be an opportunity for education, Yes, right? Because I think that we should really be uh, institutionalizing LGBTQ history and certainly getting Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera's names into the history books Yes, that everybody knows who they are. Ever and ever and ever. And not just queer history books, but American history books. Yes, yes. Cross it over. Make it all mainstream. Well, let's take it to the timeline. We'd love to hear from you on who you think other LGBTQ historical figures deserve their own monuments, honoring their work. Work. Let us know with the hashtag AM to DM. Up next, Alex is talking with an editor at Apartment Therapy about how how upgrading your living space can happen. And so stay tuned for that. I need help in my you apartment. Do. I, I don't know if you do. This is The Daily Upgrade brought to you by the City Rewards Plus Card, the card designed to make the everyday more rewarding. I'm joined by Taryn Williford, lifestyle editor for Apartment Therapy to help us upgrade our living spaces. Hey, uh, Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for joining me. And I'm really excited to take on this topic because I love design, but I admittedly get a little overwhelmed when it comes to the idea of doing a huge overhaul to my apartment. So let's just kick it off. What is your decorating philosophy? My decorating philosophy is that it's about the journey more than the destination. I think a lot of people get in their heads thinking about when it's going to be finished. But the reality is you should always be thinking about ways to improve your home. So don't get too stressed out about the final picture and just try to add things that you like along the way. I really love that because uh, it's true. I do think about like the end result of everything, but I will try just to start enjoying the little bits and pieces of it. Um, but now I have to talk about someone, I, I hate to call them out on this show, but my wife loves her knickknacks. She leaves her little things all over our apartment and I'm not the biggest fan, but I'm willing to make a compromise here. So what's your advice for making clutter look more like decor? Yeah, I think the best thing you can do is invest in some trays. Trays can be really versatile little tools. I think just leaving a tray on your bathroom to corral your skincare or leaving a tray in your kitchen to corral your olive oil and different spices can really make what might be a pile of clutter into kind of a cool design moment and something really Instagrammable. Okay, so some of those photos we saw were like impeccably decorated (laughs) trays. Do you have any tips for how I should like style one of these trays? Can I just like dump all the stuff on one of them, call it a day? Yeah, I think you can. I love stacking things (laughs) vertically. Anything you can do to get some levels, some height, some interest, contrast, anything that would apply to decorating a room, you can kind of size down into styling your tray. Okay, so you mentioned anything that would apply to decorating a room, I can size down for a tray. And kind of speaking of the rest of the room, I have so much art and I love it, but sometimes I feel like when I hang it up, it's a little bit haphazard. What are some tips for how I can be putting up the art uh, in a more beautiful way? Yeah, I think with when it comes to art, bigger is better. And that doesn't necessarily mean you have to invest in really big artwork. I think just clustering things together can be really helpful. Um, doing a gallery wall, I think it helps when you have a through line and just kind of a, a sense for what you want to do with that gallery wall. I lay mine out on the floor before I hang them and then kind of apply them to the wall after that. That is such a good idea. I'm definitely after this, maybe I'll go home this weekend. I'll like spread it all out and see how the arrangement looks. Um, One of the things is that my apartment is tiny. um, So I'm always looking for stuff that can make a big impact. Are there any other small things that you can do um, that, you know, maybe aren't a huge lift, but do make a big impact on the space? Definitely. My favorite thing to decorate with is plants. I think if you add plants to a space, uh, it just adds instant life. Cut flowers can do that too, but plants will last a little longer. 
I love the plants. And also right now you have like an amazing plant behind you. I also see that, is that a little Iris Apfel uh, vase or something going on there? It is. That's yeah. It's one of my favorite little vases. And this is Lady Gaga, my monstera plant. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Uh, I love plants. I have a plant. I have some fake plants. So I'll definitely be integrating that tip uh, into my apartment. What is your biggest piece of advice when you have the itch to redecorate, but you don't want to spend a ton of money or you just can't to renovate? Yeah, I've been there. Uh, I think shopping your home, you don't need to spend money. I think if you kind of unlock the way you think about what things should be and where they should go, it opens up a ton of possibilities. I would take my nightstand and pull it into the living room to use as a side table and then maybe grab a dining chair and pull it into the bedroom to use as the nightstand. Um, I think you can find all kinds of things throughout your space. So just go ahead, start pulling things off bookshelves, stacking things in the middle of the floor, and then redecorate your apartment with stuff you already have. Well, apologies in advance to uh, my neighbors who are going to hear me dragging furniture from room to room this weekend as I give this one a try. Taryn, thank you so much for joining us and sharing your apartment wisdom. Thank you for having me. And next, Zach is sitting down with Kirk Franklin. Welcome back, y'all. This is The Sit Down, and I'm here with 14-time Grammy award-winning gospel singer, Kirk Franklin. And I stole about 10 of them. You stole them. What I do is I go to the Grammys, and I wait for people to go to the bathroom. Is that Christian of you? How you doing? I'm good. It's so good to see good to you. you too. My grandmother was freaking out this morning when what I is, told what is, her. What is, what, is, what is her name? Her name is Jean Jean, Gloria Jean. Nana Jean Jean. We love you, Nana Jean Jean. Uh, I'm sitting with your baby boy. Aren't you proud of your baby boy? Oh my God, she's going to. This is this your church. grandbaby. <laughs> look at your grand. Look at your grandbaby. Oh my God, this. Uh, she's probably passed out at her house right now. <laughs> well, let's talk about you because this is not about me and my grandmother. Even though, hello, Jean Jean, I will call you Gigi. soon. Um, so today's a big day for you. You have yeah. a new song, a new album. Tell yes. us about this. Yeah, you know, it's it's called Long Live Love. The album is called Long Live Love. I think that we need a little bit of that in in our DNA right now because we are lacking a lot of empathy and compassion towards one another. We don't see people as uh, God's children. We don't see us needing each other. Mm -hmm. You know, we're very quick to cancel each other out Mm -hmm. and not be patient. And whether it's learning how to agree to disagree, to allow allow people to have different views and opinions, but still love and respect the fact that they are created by love and through love and for a greater purpose. Just because we may have different views, that does not mean that your life is less valuable than mine. For sure, for sure. And so much of your music historically has been as contemporary as you're talking about. It's talking about real issues in real time. How do you stay so, I don't want to say relevant, but staying so current all the time? What keeps you inspired? Well, I'm short. So like kids (laughs) like me. Yeah. No, I'm busy. (laughs) (laughs) They think I'm like a play date. You're you're me. You're my same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh. Oh, he's little. How little bitty man, you know. Uh, you know, I, you know. It's, it's, I'm very grateful to have a lot of great people around me. And, and I try to really try to stay engaged with what's happening in the world. I think sometimes Christians can live in a bubble and they're not engaged in what's, what's happening within culture and, and just within the heartbeat of what's, what's happening in a relevant conversation. Yeah. And so they don't know how to have a relevant conversation. And, and you know, but, but even musically, I'm grateful to have a lot of good people around me to let me know when I'm the old man in the room, <laughs> you know? you know. But, I don't think anyone's you considering know, you the old man in the room. I don't want to be Paul Paul. You're not, to be, 
trying to be hip hop, Popo. But what you like about that beat, boy? What you like about that beat? You know, I don't want to be, I don't want to be Popo. Yeah. So I try to have yeah. people around. Well, speaking of youth, you are going back to hosting on BET, correct? Sunday Best is Sunday coming Best. back. Sunday Best is coming back on BET. I had a four year hiatus, and a lot of people really love the show. Yeah. They love the show because, you know, what is different about Sunday Best and other music competition shows is the fact that it's coming from gospel music. No one can deny the power and the spirit um, that comes out of people that do gospel music. Mm -hmm. And so people tune in because you can't produce that. Yeah. That's something that you got to come with. I mean, it doesn't matter how big the production set is. Yeah. If you're not coming with what you and I know mm -hmm. as church kids, as the spirit, mm -hmm. you know, then it's really hard to connect. Yeah. And a lot of people want that hope from from uh, your vocal cords. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And so many contemporary artists who are more rhythm and blues and hip hop are now being more forthcoming about using gospel. One of them, Chance mm. the Rapper, who I believe yeah. you've worked with. Yeah, 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 what yeah, is yeah. it like seeing gospel cross over into rap and R&B? And what kind of boundaries do you think it has to kind of deal with? Because, you know, they're cursing on the records. Yeah, 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 yeah. Talking about things that I didn't talk about with my grandmother in church. Yeah. I still don't talk to my grandmother. And you wouldn't. <laughs> no. You wouldn't. So what Neither are you, would I. And what are you yeah. thinking about as you do these collabs? It's, I think that, first of all, that um, the African-American experience uh, is undeniable when it comes to its relationship with the black church. Mm -hmm. And the black church is very synonymous with black gospel music. Yes. So, so uh, it, it all is woven into just the culture of black and brown people. Yeah. And so because of that, uh, it's very easy for a Chance or Kanye to tap into those sounds and those rhythms and those melodies because most of them, like I went to Justin Timberlake's concert once, or you go to Janet's concert, or mm -hmm. Madonna, or any, any of these big stars, the whole band mm -hmm. are black gospel musicians. Yeah. And it's real. Like, yeah. like that's not that's not that's not what I'm making up. Yeah. Every pop star right now, their band mm -hmm. is black church musicians yes. because of that soul and feel they They've got some black background singers that sing gospel music. So it's so interwoven within black culture and pop culture that at some point somebody's going to be pulling from it. Yeah, and yeah. So, yeah, and, and I think that the when it comes to the profanity, uh, that that's just kind of part of walking our life with people on their journey. Like it's very difficult if you're not with somebody every day and they live in a world where they communicate that mm -hmm. way. For them to come around you, you can't expect for people to necessarily put on this falsehood of who they are. You just got to just, you know, kind of walk out life with them yeah. and then let the love of God pull them yeah. in the areas that needs to be pulled. Yeah. Right? Yeah, for sure. And you yeah. mentioned Kanye, who's been really public about his church, uh, church going these days. He hosts mm -hmm. a Sunday, what is it called? Sunday sermon? Sunday, Sunday, service, Sunday service, but it's not a church service. Okay. It's, it's, it's not a church service at all. And what I, what I support Kanye in doing right now is that he has found a healing power in music. Mm -hmm. And so I would encourage everyone when it comes to Kanye, is let the brother heal. Yeah. Let, let the music be that, that that soothing ointment that he needs for his soul because that's what gospel music is supposed to be. Gotcha, gotcha. And I want to read a tweet that we have up for you. Okay. Um, someone wrote, does anyone else find it, I don't know, weird that Kanye and Kim are making the black church experience into some exclusive thing where white people go and stand around and record because it's like something, it's fascinating or something. This feels weird. What's your reaction to that take on Kanye? Is I would say that I do not believe 
that it is a church experience that he's trying to curate. And and I think that what can happen is because people are so used to seeing gospel music within an environment of black church culture, mm-hmm. it's automatically assumed that it's church. Yes. Because that's the only way that that that, that we've ever seen it. It's almost like the ignorance that a man will have just because a woman may be dressed very sexy to always think that every woman that, that dressed sexy is always thinking sexual. Yeah. She's just dressing sexy. Yeah. That don't mean she wants you. Exactly. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah you She's know. not doing this for all of you. Yeah. Like grab and exactly. Yeah. And it's the same thing even with what's happening with my brother is that we're so used to seeing uh, gospel music in those type of environments mm-hmm. that we make the assumption yeah. that that's what it is. He's just, man, this is his medicine. Let that brother heal and let God do his thing in him. Yeah. And you mentioned church and kind of how we talk about it in public. Yeah. Currently, there are lots of, there's lots of legislation around abortion bans and they're using the Bible to push these through around the country. Yeah. What are your thoughts on this and how people are using the church as a political weapon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that that's very unfortunate that uh, that is happening. I was adopted when I was four mm-hmm. by a 64-year-old woman. And I remember my biological mother telling the woman that adopted me that she didn't want me, mm-hmm. that she wanted to have an abortion. And I remember hearing that at 12 years old. And it really scarred me. And so um, while at the same time, it would be hypocritical to not also admit that when I was a teenager, I paid for an abortion. Mm. So I have uh, had this duality when it, when it comes to this conversation. And so... I firmly believe that I am I am pro-choice because I do believe in life. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I also realize and recognize that I do not have the right to force my hope for life yeah. on the body of a woman. Yeah. The same way that I cannot force any one of these cameramen to uh, be a Christian. Mm-hmm. That has to be a composition of their heart. You cannot legislate morality. Yeah. That has to be a pool on the end of his heart. Now, I want to try to be as much of a light as I can to yeah. make what I believe attractive. I want to try to live a type of life that is so powerful that being pro-life and supporting life looks attractive. But when I'm standing and attacking you for your mm-hmm. belief and I'm standing outside with signs and I'm blowing up abortion clinics mm-hmm. or or doing all these uh, negative things in the name of God, that's not, that's not God, that's the devil. Yeah, yeah. And so, um, once again... I think love should lead. Mm. If love is not leading the conversation, the conversation is worthless and God ain't in it. Do you find that your music is helping the church understand these types of conversations? Because, you know, growing up with my grandmother, we weren't talking like this. But I know as your music has become more popular and you are able to sit on couches like this, yeah. you're helping lead those Which is an honor. Thank you again for having me. Thank of course. you for having me. It's, it's, I think that what is happening is that as we see so many millennials leave church like crazy, mm-hmm. that it is very important for all of us, including myself, to be able to one have the conversation of what did we do wrong? Mm-hmm. What do we need to do better? Where did we drop the ball at? Anybody that just and 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 I think that a lot of times there is an elitism mm-hmm. and an arrogance that can sometimes be portrayed from from the onlookers yeah. into people of faith to go, you know, they 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 don't speak with compassion. They know every freaking thing. Mm-hmm. And there's an arrogance and a, and a lack of humility in the conversation. It's almost like we communicate like we're the doctors mm-hmm. and the world is sick. Yeah. Like everybody's sick and and we're the doctors where the church is a hospital. Yeah where everybody's a patient Mm -hmm. and there's only one doctor. Mm -hmm. Thank God. God. Yeah, right. Well, speaking of one, you and your wife have become a possibility model for so many Christians. That's my girl. That's my girl. 
What up, girl? What's, what's, what's up, Tammy? <laughs> what up, baby? No, I'm sorry. I, you know, that's just that. I want to love someone as much as you love your wife. But just what that. advice so, do you have for Christian couples so that they can feel that fire you just felt? It's a, even that Christian couples, that's, that feels very weird. Well, Christian couples. couples. Yeah, yeah, Christian couples. People of the world. I feel like a whole bunch of Christians yeah. sitting around in just choir robes. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Praying. <Bible. laughs> With no drawers on the bottom of the robe. It's like, what is going on? That's nasty. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> More than anything is I think that wherever you are, that it is very difficult to have any type of love relationship without the creator of love Mm -hmm. involved. That one of the reasons why we always say till death do uh, us part is because it takes that long to get to know somebody. Does that scare you? I've been married 23 years and I'm loving who I'm becoming with her. God. I love that. Well, Well, thank you so much for... Sitting down with me, say you make me want to go home right now. I'm a woman. Well, don't go there. I know there are other people. I know there are other people that want to talk to you. Say, but thank you so much thank for you. coming in. Thank you. It is in. an honor it's to be a, here with you. You too. Thank this you. is really a dream too. Thank, thank you. you so much for joining us, say Kirk. And Kirk's new album, Long Live Love, Long Live Love, is out today. Stay tuned for more AMCDM up next. Welcome back. I'm Hayes Brown, and the library is open for our last recap of Drag Race season 11. Please. Everyone, welcome Syzygy. Get the hell out of my way. I'm a homosexual. Uh, look at you. I know. Look, look at, at this. Look this at is the, amazing. Get the camera right. Yeah. Do you look good? You look looking at the retaining monitor. You can <laughs> start whenever. You're definitely not retaining because look at you. Snatch from oh, the Oh, not gods. an ounce of water. None. I haven't drank or eaten in 24 hours. <laughs> you look amazing. You look like you belonged on the finale. So let's talk oh. about this. This finale. Like the past two seasons, it was a lip sync battle. Eventually, it was eventually a lip sync battle. What do you think of the performances last night? Well, you know, I, because we had to get up early in the morning to mm-hmm. the show and I, I take a little bit longer than you. A um, Let's go. Just like a, maybe like some chapstick moments. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't watch it last night. And so I had to wake up this morning, illegally torrent it and then mm-hmm. watch it. And uh, yeah, I just fast forwarded. As because it was it was those little like those little like um, videos of yeah. yeah, I liked Vanessa's though. Vanessa's was great, so good. Much like the reunion, which we unfortunately didn't have time. Oh to wow! Cover. The uh, Vanjie was the best part of the finale. It felt like at times, mm. especially in the lead up to the lip syncs. Oh, one hundred percent. So let's talk about the lip syncs really quickly mm. though. Uh, the first one up was um, mm. it was uh, Silky, not Meganash. Yes, versus Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Why? Why didn't she choose um, Evie, do you think? Gosh, uh, looking at her face and just looking at the feeling that she had. Mm-hmm. Oh, don't move that retaining monitor. I want to keep looking. <laughs> um, <laughs> looking at her face and looking at the energy, you could tell that she knew. Had she picked Brooklyn mm-hmm. and she lost, it would have really not... Like, it, it wouldn't have played out well for her, and it, it would have been a bad image. If she had chosen Evie. Unless. Which, regrettably, yeah, which if she had chosen Evie, which, regrettably, the problem is that the producers built up this mm-hmm. narrative the whole season of Silky versus Evie, and then we just didn't see it. At it's all. sort of like in the episode, during the makeover episode, mm-hmm. narratively, mm-hmm. Vanessa should have won because of how much time the producers spent with her. Right. All of a sudden, Brooklyn won. It, it's strange. We're getting gaslit a little bit. We are, it yeah. feels like. Well, let's just jump right forward to the actual lip sync for the crown. So secure your wigs, everybody. Spoilers are ahead. So the top two were Evie and Brooke, and the winner of RuPaul's Drag Race Season 11 is Evie Oddly. Evie Oddly did it. You did it, girl. You did that. So what do you think about that choice? 
Um, I'm really happy for her. And right. I think that she deserved the win. She did incredible. I couldn't keep my eyes off of her during the last lip sync. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, you know, the people that I thought were going to win or, or who should have been on the top four weren't. And so it was bittersweet a little bit. That mm-hmm. said, I think that Evie came into it with an advantage because the fans and the fan base of Drag mm-hmm. Race as a whole really gravitate towards those underdogs. It's true. Yeah. So I personally was really excited about the yeah. fact that Evie won, but it felt a little underwhelming considering how long it took, how boring it was to actually get to the point where she was crowned. Like, I knew it was always going to be Brooklyn versus Evie. Sure. So when it was Evie announced, I was delighted. Right. But also like, well, that's it. That's season 11. That's it. We're yeah. done. So is it possible for a drag race winner to break out and become a RuPaul-level star at this point. Oh, I don't know. We haven't really seen that for the winners. Take that camera. Look at these legs, though. So I don't really really know if... um, Answer the question, man. The question, oh, can a drag race, like, winner? Yes. Um, ah, Golly. uh, Yes and no. I think that you've seen so much more success with a lot of people who haven't won. Mm -hmm. Uh, Conversely, we haven't yet seen a drag race contestant get to that level of mm-hmm. Rue, which I think it's coming. Mm-hmm. But You see Shangela on the ups. Sure. We, we've seen Shangela, who's probably the closest to an EGOT solely because she went to the Golden Globes. Right. Uh, um, Who do you see from this season, like, elevating then, if not Evie? Mm, uh, I think that there's probably two people, the first being Plastique Tiara. Mm. As we know, I root for everybody Asian. True. Deserve it. Uh, secondly... Oh, what I will say about Plastique is that her benefit is that because of her beauty, because of her makeup mm-hmm. skills, uh, the makeup community has really started to gravitate towards mm-hmm. her. We've seen her doing videos with Patrick Starr and mm-hmm. the disgraced James Charles. Um, however, in my opinion, the true breakout star moving forward will be Nina. Oh, absolutely. interesting. It'll be Nina. I really like that. Yeah. She um, deserves it. No, absolutely. Uh, from a political standpoint, I think that uh, it's refreshing. All queens are involved in politics. Mm-hmm. Inherently, drag is a political statement. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think that Nina's intimacy with the political system, mm-hmm. uh, the fundraising that the West family does, as well as the fact that AOC is rooting for AOC loves Nina West. Rihanna so. was in the DMs. Yes, she like, was. Okay, so... All Stars 5 is allegedly filming oh. soon. Is there too much drag race right now? Are we are we tired? Are we done? Should we mm. be like taking a longer break? Well, how the do you feel? Of it, yes. Yeah. Um in my opinion, mm-hmm. I don't think that drag that we're tired of drag. We've Americans have always the world has always loved drag. Um we see it with characters such as Medea Obviously, RuPaul, Dame Edna. Mm -hmm. Uh, We just didn't know that we loved drag as much Mm. as we did because we didn't call it that. Right. Um, But looking at where we are now, in my opinion, I would like to take a break from so many competitions. Right. Because it's constant competitions and we know the game. We know what's Mm -hmm. about to happen. And it does it gives you fatigue like make more holiday specials yeah where they just sit around a piano with Jasmine Masters in a mask who then leaves <laughs> and who then leaves who then leaves the production set because she was mad okay so as someone in the drag scene mm-hmm. how can drag race fans especially those who are new and just starting to come in the last couple of seasons support queens outside of the show mm. I think that the most important thing is similar to uh, looking at Black Friday and the in the issues of capitalism. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the most important thing is supporting your local drag queens. Mm. 
we all can sit back and watch a TV show and read contestants and mm-hmm. critique them. Um, but when it gets down to it, when you go to one of these local shows and you see your local queen and you build up that relationship and seeing those performances, you it's inspirational. It's wonderful. You love your local queen. Go to a local bar. Make sure you bring singles. Mm-hmm. Or at this point, I can leave my Venmo information <laughs> and you can tip me that way. Just respond to the tweets. Yeah. Tweet your- using the hashtag, give me my Venmo money. Oh my gosh. Um, well, Syzygy. Thank you so much for Aww. being with me this season and recapping this season with me. You're a legend. You're a star. You're well aware of oh, all wait. these facts. Look at that waist. Oh my gosh. I'm going to miss this. I'm going to miss you. Aww. So thank you. Let's, for give t- a, let's get a hug. Let's get a hug in here. Oh, get the fuck out of my way. <laughs> you didn't even watch Paris is Burning. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to take this special opportunity to look at my waist. <laughs> look at me as a star. Um... Whatever. The library is officially closed. Bye. <laughs> oh, hey, Twitter. Welcome back. And it's time for our favorite part of the show where you get to say, tell us what you thought of it. Indeed. So good. It's such a nice way to end the week. And Nick tweeted this after Zach sit down with Kirk Franklin. My first concert ever was a Kirk Franklin concert at eight years old, and it's still one of the best musical performances I've ever seen. That was just a fantastic interview. It was so great. And, you know, my family is currently freaking out. (laughs) Like, when I tell you my grandmother may not be with us at the moment, I need to go check on her. (laughs) She's alive. I'm kidding. She's very alive, but she's very happy. Um, Our next tweet comes from Jolie, who tweeted after our conversation with Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera, Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera deserve the honor of these statues, and they deserved better. I want to live in a country that values the lives of trans women of color before it's too late. Amen. Say it louder. I mean, for real. Yes, we need more of this. We need more Couldn't monuments. Agree more. Every city. I'm going to start the campaign. Yes, now. please. Yes, yes. Well, you voted, and the winning lower third from our T-shirt poll this week is drum roll. Welcome to the dystopia. And don't forget, you can buy this shirt from the link below. I'm just glad I'm not getting dragged from my popsicle. I'm so mad. I'm going to make my own custom <laughs> Alex popsicle shirt. Watch it at Twitter. Call, DM me, and I'll get you one. I'll get you one. And lastly, don't forget to sign up for our AM2DM newsletter. Ooh. Well, thank you to our guests, Ryan Mack, Hayes Brown, Adrian Lawrence, Taryn Williford, Syzygy, and Kirk Franklin. Wait, I got a question, actually. Take oh. my camera. Um, <laughs> my question is, in terms of these, first of all, hi, hello again. Uh, in terms of these L3s, uh, when are we going to get one that says... Vote for Syzygy 2020. Oh, Syzygy's beautiful. Look how thin she is right now. Does look snatched for the goal. Right? I can't breathe. I didn't eat. Down, girl. Thank you. I have to tell you, um, Blasian FMA, I think I saw you tweeting that this gown is like really beautiful. Thank you. As gorgeous, maybe even more gorgeous in person. I mean, this whole thing, it's just a beautiful, expensive Andres Caballero original. Oh my goodness. Oh my God. You like it? Well, we look forward to you. Stunning. Stunning. Oh, wow. Yeah, that hurt. Never mind. Yeah, don't take the camera anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Well, next week, we've got Samir Wiley plus more of the cast of The Handmaid's Tale and Ellen Page with more of the cast of Tales of the City, Sutton Foster, Monet Exchange, and even more. I cannot even believe the people we're going to get to talk to next week. We'll be back here on Monday at 10 a.m. Have a great weekend. Be safe, y'all. We did it. Oh, my God. They're all coming? Yes. Samira? Ellen? Yes. All of them. (laughs) What? Monet? (laughs) Sutton? (laughs) 